Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features a session from BBCon 2020 Virtual, led by Stu Manowith and Bailey Bensley from Omatic Software. Stu and Bailey discuss strategies you can use to both reacquire lapsed donors and prevent attrition in the first place. And if you'd like information on BBCon 2021, where you'll experience many great sessions like this one, visit www.bbconference.com. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having us today. As Nick mentioned, my name is Bailey Bensley, and my role at Omatic is the Director of Sales Enablement. Just a quick background so you know who I am. Um, I actually spent eight years working at Blackbaud. Uh, prior to that, I spent about seven years working for a nonprofit. So my current role today is just to really help listen, making sure that kind of Omatic has its ear to the ground and, and is understanding what the actual needs are of nonprofits and how we can help. And I have the privilege of being joined by my colleague and good friend, Stu Manowith, today. Uh, thanks so much, Bailey. I'm Stu Manowith. I'm Director of Thought Leadership at Omatic. Bailey and I really have similar responsibilities here. My role at Omatic is to really have my ear to the ground of the nonprofit sector, understand what your challenges are, and how Omatic's services and products can support those, especially in the area of data integration and hygiene. Like Bailey, I've been here at Omatic for about five years, but like Bailey, I worked at Blackboard for 13 years before that. And before that, I worked as a fundraiser and as a nonprofit finance director at two nonprofits in the Midwest. Omatic's mission is to empower your organization to deliver the right message at the right time to the right supporter by connecting all of that valuable data that you have in order to really strengthen relationships and then ultimately achieve your goals. So this really is the baseline of what we're trying to do with every conversation and with every piece of technology that we offer. So before we get into some strategies, obviously that's what we're here to do today, to more efficiently win back, some, win back your donors, I think it's important that we all sort of take a step back and, and level set on some lapsed donor definitions and industry standards just to be sure that we are all speaking the same language. So to start that conversation off, I think it's important to go with the statistic. So according to the AFP fundraising project, this is totally scary, more people are leaving. So this is 2018 to 2019, and what you can see is the attrition rate was worse than the previous year's study. So overall donor attrition, that was 3% worse than the previous year. Overall money raised from that pool of donors is actually 1.4% less than the previous year. And then just new donor attrition was close to 6% worse than the previous year. So this is something, and of course, you know, things have definitely changed um, in the environment just, just a little bit this year. So we'll probably want to be um, with our, again, kind of ears to the ground listening for these numbers for, for next year as well. 
Yeah, I think that 19 to 20 is going to be an asterisk. I don't think that's going to be a really um, a, a good statistic to compare to other years. But I think that the, the previous year uh, statistics that you just uh, showed on the screen is, is is quite telling. And I guess we have to understand that LAMPS donors are going to happen. They come and they go. We should obviously try to prevent them. But But think of it this way. Some donor attrition is unavoidable. Major life changes could impact a donor's ability to give. Their interests may change, and they may feel that your mission is no longer resonating with them. Um, and some supporters may only want to make a one-time gift. Sometimes donor attrition can be reduced with better stewardship, restructuring solicitation timing and methods, changing or improving your communication strategy, and overall relationship building. But for those donors that do lapse, many of the previous donors could be prime candidates for giving again. Research shows that on average, nonprofits lose a significant percentage of annual givers each year. So you're in good company if you've noticed some donors fall away over time. But for those donors that do lapse, many, many of them could be prime candidates for giving again. They've already shown interest in your mission, so the hard work of getting their attention is done. With the right data and insights, you can develop strategies to re-engage many who have fallen off your roles. And we should dig in a little deeper and just calibrate a little bit on how we calculate donor attrition so that you can actually um, do some analysis and look at how donor attrition has impacted your organization recently or uh, what the trend has been. The way to calculate donor attrition is to start with donors last year that did not give again this year and then divide that by all donors last year and then multiply that so it's a by 100 so it's a, it's a percentage and that's your donor attrition rate. In 2019, overall donor attrition was 55%. So what that means is 2018 donors that did not give again in 2019. Okay. So Stu, I'm not saying that like math wasn't my best subject, but <laughs> can I just kind of go over this again one more time just to make sure we're on the same page? Absolutely. Please do. All right. So calculating donor attrition. So the first thing I'm going to do is pull the denominator which is going to be the number of donors that donated in the past year. And I'm going to put that on the bottom, right? Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull the numerator second, and that's the number of those donors that did not give again in the current year. And I'm going Correct. to put that on the top. Oh my God, how cool is that? Look at how you did that. It's pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> and so what I want to do is make sure that I'm not including any donors in the numerator who were not part of the denominator because that could overstate my attrition rate. Right, right. Attrition rates are, are bad enough that they don't need to be overstated. But yes, that calculation is absolutely correct. Awesome. Okay, sorry. Turning it back to you then. All right, thank you. So a little more about the anatomy of LAMPS donors. Very often, we look at them in these um, kind of a jargony fundraising categories, uh, LIBUNTS, PIBUNTS, SIBUNTS, and long lapsed. Um, LIBUNT is an acronym, kind of a, a, um, a clumsy acronym for last year, but not this year. So donors who gave last year but not this year. And those are people who gave last year, but not this year, meaning that they are, there it's been uh, 13 to 24 months since their last gifts. Pi bunts are same clumsy acronym previous year, but not this year, which means it's been 25 to 36 months since their last gift. Psi bunts, some year, but not this year. 
So three years or more, 37 to 60 months since their last gift. And long lapsed research has shown that anyone that has not given in more than five years is really the equivalent, equivalent of a non-donor. Certainly, they've got history with your organization, and that can be used strategically to begin uh, rebegin a relationship. But in terms of giving behavior, someone who has not given to your organization for five years or more is really uh, considered a lapsed donor from a kind of a donor behavior or a consumer behavior standpoint. So I think with these numbers, we do need some context, especially if we're going to be pulling these. So before we start and before you start into this project, um, do your research because there can be some factors that can be very telling. So pull information, um, things like when do they actually last give a gift? When they did, did you change the way that you were communicating with them? And the way you're communicating with them could be either, we could be either by talking about just the way you're messaging them or the message itself or the cadence. So how frequently or infrequently you're messaging them. And then this one actually, Sue and I find this kind of goes under the radar a little bit, but it's really important to consider, did your mission or a program change that might not have resonated with them anymore? So maybe what are we focusing on in terms of, you know, not only our advertising and marketing, but I mean, our communications and where they can make an impact. If that shifts enough, it can make it so it's just not a passion for the individual. And so it's not something that they're dedicated to donating about again. So in lieu of doing something like a poll, because you know, obviously we can't do that right now, we wanted to give you guys something to think about. <clears throat> so if we were to ask you right now, could you pull these numbers, right? Here is what we typically will hear. So which category would you find yourselves in? Yeah, absolutely. So we can, but right there's some sort of caveat. We can pull them, but we currently don't pull them or there's not a chance. So again, kind of look internally and ask yourselves which bucket here you fit in and then make sure that you get yourselves to where the answer is yes and a, and a confident yes. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the importance of, of data in confidence in, in a little bit. So developing an effective win-back strategy, that's the million-dollar question. How do you do it once you've established a baseline for your current attrition rate? I, I would say... Work smarter for sure, but also time is ticking. You need to get going now and do as much as you can with what you have. And time is ticking. According to Bloomerang, only about 3% of lapsed donors will donate again after they've lapsed. But as we've been talking about, there are strategies that you can use to improve that. In a utopic environment with unlimited time and resources, it would be a good strategy to contact each and every lapsed donor personally and make the case for re-engaging with your organization. But of course, we know that in the real world, that's far from possible. But when resources are limited, time, money, etc., make sure that you are first targeting the donors that are most likely to re-engage, what I guess could be called the low-hanging fruit. Recency. Think about those libunts, pibunts, and saibunts, which are most likely to renew. Well, probably in that order, the libunts first, the pibunts, and the saibunts. Frequency. If you have a donor who gave $100 each year for 10 years and then stopped giving, and another donor who gave $500 two years ago and then never gave again, you would want to first focus on re-engaging the donor with the better track record. Behavioral trends. Think about behavioral trends. Does the person volunteer? 
or have they been attending a special event that has had an impact? Do they subscribe to your newsletter? It's important to consider interests and engagement with the organization outside of just the donations. All of those different engagement points um, tell a story that can be used to build a strategy for re-engaging your donors, your lapsed donors. And one very easy way to do that is through affinity scoring. So affinity scoring, just to kind of get into that, as Stu knows, this is a passion of mine. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I worked at BlackBot for eight years. And a few of those years, I actually spent working in the target analytics division. So this has a place, special place in my heart. So what is affinity scoring? Well, affinity scoring is a system for assessing how likely a supporter is to engage with your organization. And yes, I recognize how broad of a statement that is. <laughs> um, but again, we'll, we'll get into why that's the exciting part of it in just a moment. So using data points, so things like donation frequency and interest and things like that, um, you can create a formula that is designed to find your lapsed donors with the highest probability to re-engage. And then based on the data points that you choose and the weight or importance that you give to each, then you can create a score. So again, what we're talking about in the context of today's conversation is to win back lapsed donors. But it's, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't also bring up the fact that there are other applications of affinity scoring. And I think that the great thing about it is you're not limited just using it for giving potential. Some of the other ways that we've seen people use affinity scoring is determine things like what type of donor someone may be, right? So are they a monthly donor? Are they mid-level? If you are an arts and cultural organization, are they someone who's likely to upgrade a membership, adopt a pet, become a volunteer, maybe be a peer-to-peer -peer event coach or lead, a social media influencer, and then communications, stewardship, solicitation strategy, just you know, using affinity scoring to ultimately lessen your attrition rate. And a question that we get all the time is, okay, but what data should I be using? So, you know, past giving trends, certainly something that is very important. But again, as Stu was talking about, it's that behavior that really kind of focuses our formula. So what we found is a good exercise can be take a sample population that represents what we're looking for in an outcome. So if we are looking for people most likely to adopt a pet, then find people that have recently adopted a pet. If we're looking for a way to most effectively win back lapsed donors, let's, let's look at those. Let's run those live on reports and let's, let's run those different reports and let's pull those individuals that had lapsed but have re-engaged. Then from there, we can kind of take a step back and look at that population and see what factors they have in common. So in addition to, again, giving history, it could be maybe the type of constituent they are. So maybe they're a board member or maybe they're a community member. Whether or not they've attended a special event can be a good indicator. Are they related to members of your board or your staff or maybe just even other supporters? Have they asked for information recently through email or a newsletter or your website? 
have they engaged in interactive media such as surveys or online quizzes, or have they responded to maybe an advocacy request? But a tip that's really, really important to to remember is be conscious of how many data points are used. If there are too many, the impact of each one becomes muddier and the results can be impacted. So a good rule of thumb um, is typically don't go above, what would you say, to about 10 different data points per formula? Uh, Five to seven, I think. Yeah. Uh, because it just, it just gets kind of overwhelming and overcomplicated. And I think, Bailey, on the next slide, we're going to give an example of uh, a bunch of different data points. And you'll see that the more you use, you may have more discrete scoring, but it just may be too complicated to manage. Yep. So this is just an example of an, affiting, an affinity scoring formula. And you can see from the grid that we have a bunch of data points in the criteria column. We have a point value for each one. We have a weight value for each one. And then that calculates to a score. So this is an example with just five data points. And again, I suppose, depending on the organization, you may want to use seven or nine. Again, make make it manageable for your organization without having you pull your hair out. In this particular case, the, uh, the five criteria are uh, number one, subscribes to a newsletter. We identified if someone subscribes to a newsletter, they've got some some interest in the organization. And we identified five points for each newsletter. In this case, the person that is being scored right here subscribes to three newsletters, and so they get 15 points. Their score for newsletter subscriptions is 15 points. The next data point is volunteering. The Point value is 40 points for each event at which they volunteered. In this case, the person being scored volunteered at two different events, and so it's uh, two times 40 is 80. Again, volunteering demonstrates strong affinity uh, and strong engagement with the organization. Um, The next uh, criteria was age. Under the age of 25 got zero. Over the age of 25 got one point, 25 to 40, 26 to 40, I guess, and two points or two two times for more than 40. So this person is over 40, so they got 10 times two equals 20 points. Martha's do not call was a negative 50. If there was anything in the database indicating that they didn't want to be contacted, that's kind of a uh, an anti-affinity uh, criterion. In this case, the person was not marked as do not call, so they didn't get the negative 50, but that would reduce the score of someone who was marked do not call. And then finally, we used a wealth rating of A or B. If they have a wealth rating of B, it was the, the, the point value was 25 points. A uh, value of B was a single-time weight, a value, uh, a value of A. A wealth rating of A was a double-time weight. This person had a wealth rating of B, so it was single a single weight, and so it was 25 points. So the score is added up, 15 plus 80 plus 20 plus 25, to 140. So what does 140 mean? Well, scores only provide insights relative to everyone else who you're scoring. So for your organization, 140 could be very high, or it could be very low, or it could be smack dab in the middle. Uh, And as a further example, if you're going to score 5,000 lapsed donors, you might want to solicit the top 1,000 based on score or have two segments, the top 1,000 and the top and the next 1,000 also based on score to see how they compare with unique messaging for each group. The, The bottom line is the scoring is going to be 
unique for your organization based on the data points that are important for that you identify as being important that identify affinity and engagement. And by running these scores, you'll have a good idea of what a good score is, what a bad score is, and how you want to use the scoring to segment your uh, your lapsed donors or to the point that Bailey made for any current or future donor pool. Speaking of that, Stu, is something that we kind of didn't overtly call out, but this can be really helpful to prevent lapsed donors as well. So look at those that just did lapse and see what they have in common and determine those that based on those criteria may be at risk. Absolutely. This, I was just going to say, this, this tool can be used across the board, up and down the pyramid uh, for as, as effectively as, as you want. So since Stu's gone through this example affinity scoring formula, again, time for kind of another introspective, something to think about. Do you currently have a methodology for affinity scoring? And this might be something where your answer is, I, I don't know, that's not something that I would necessarily facilitate, but it's definitely worth asking internally. Okay, so the re-engagement strategy. So let's talk about making the most of our resources. So the first step is we want to use what we already know as our guide. So let's use that history that we've been tracking so diligently in the razor's edge as a guide to what to do next. So if we want to reestablish a connection with lapsed donors, let's look back to the different channels and the different strategies that we obtain them by in the first place. So first of all, you know, email. Was it email? Maybe it was direct mail. Maybe it was a phone call. Um, Maybe it was actually just an invitation to participate in an event. The other thing is what worked the first time around definitely has a higher chance of working the second time around too. So that methodology has a better chance of actually re-engaging the supporter. And this principle applies at all levels of the donor pyramid. That's important to keep in mind or the donor cycle. Um, It's not just for high volume segments. So you can apply this principle across the board. That being said, um, segmentation is still critical. Before I worked at Blackboard, I worked as director of annual giving at a large hospital foundation. And so in the world of annual giving, segmentation is super critical. And because you're talking about working with very, very large groups of basically smaller size, uh, smaller gift donors. And so that's kind of the, the, um, the lens through which I see a lot of this. And LAPS donors... Certainly, there are major gift lapsed donors, and your major gift officers would uh, would structure the way they want to regain them. But the majority of lapsed donors are likely going to be at the bottom of the pyramid, and so segmentation, I think, is a is a critical um, strategy for reengaging them. And we start by with a couple, a few steps. First, identify the previous donors who have stopped giving over the last X number of years, whether it's two, three, four years. Remember, five years is like a non-donor. So if you want to talk to lapsed donors as though they are lapsed donors, four years or maybe uh, 60 months is probably you don't want to go further back from than that. Divide that population into smaller groups based on various criteria so you can effectively tailor both your message and your communication method. You can segment by how they gave, what their interests are, what types of appeals they responded to. Certainly their affinity score, if you are 
if you're able to build an affinity scoring platform. This allows you to focus and refine your next communication at the segment level to make sure that the message is as personal as possible to achieve the greatest renewal rate. Uh, and long story short, we think of segmentation as invaluable to help foster strong relationships with long-term donors, small or large, but it's also a real important tool for re-engaging lapsed donors. And then, then the, there's the ask versus the long-term relationship or, or the relationship that you have with those donors. Having strong relationships is the backbone of any successful ask. And so the resolicitation can't be all about asking for money. It's important to re-engage at the relationship level before asking for re-engagement at the donation level. And, and so there are some ways that you can formulate messaging so that it's not all about only about the ask. Reminding lapsed donors that their gifts were used as they initially intended. Asking lapsed donors for their inputs and input and insights, maybe some type of uh, survey tool or some type of way that they can be interacted with before the solicitation message comes. Building the relationship before you ask for the next contribution. Once you've segmented your lapsed donors and you know what communications appeal to them the most, you won't want your attempts to re-engaging them to be all about only asking a donation. Remind them how your mission is aligned with their values. Invite them to participate in an event or a volunteer activity. Ask them to sign up for a newsletter. Fill them in on their past contributions has, have made an impact. Your, your objective here is to make them feel appreciated, recognized, and excited about your mission before the next solicitation. If a lapsed donor is reminded of how their values align with the organization, and they have a clear picture of how their previous donations made a difference, that can go a long way to encouraging and enticing them to give again. Your efforts are only as good as your data. To effectively move forward on any of these strategies, you first must have complete and timely data to analyze. Data quality drives results. So thinking about the affinity, affinity scoring, or even about, as Bailey was talking about before, looking at elapsed donors' history of engagement with the organization, not just their giving history, but all the different ways they've engaged. If your data are outdated, or inaccurate or incomplete, then affinity scoring and segmentation and historical analysis will be suspect or maybe even provide an inaccurate story. It'll be lacking at best and simply ineffective at worst, not a good investment and with little or no ROI. And if data are not trustworthy, end users will not feel confident in moving forward with any of these strategies. By end users, I mean the fundraisers in your organization who rely on data. They're not going to feel confident moving forward with these strategies. So information is imperative. And here's what, here's what we want to kind of get across with this right here, is that individual data points are important, but it's not until you have a collection of those data points that our data can actually tell us a story. So combining things like gift information with interests, maybe professional engagement, um, other characteristics and behaviors, what that does is that creates a deeper profile understanding that can, again, result in a more impactful relationship. So as the data repository that you have grows, use all of that information 
and then use it to segment donors into relevant categories. Um, Again, kind of going right back to that mission at the beginning, the whole goal of collecting and maintaining this data integrity is to be able to allow it to help you deliver the right communications to the right people at the right time. Something that is really important to Stu and I is the concept of data centralization. So because Stu and I are such successes, um, we are often asked to go on world tours. You can probably get your t-shirts somewhere. So the famous annual Omatic Software Road Trip. So this is where we are going around and talking about things like this, and it's so exciting. Well, in order to make it around the globe effectively, Stu's individual knowledge of Ecuador and South Africa is okay. My individual knowledge of Scotland and India and British Columbia is fine. But without a collective knowledge, it's really not going to get us around the globe in a way that is going to be most effective to us. So think about it in those terms. It's the, it's the concept of individual data point knowledge doesn't actually mean anything until you put it all together to tell a story. Yeah, it's, and if I can give, just give, so take this from this map of the world, uh, which is, I think, a really good analogy to actual fundraising data. If someone only knows about someone's, I'm going to say, just their tribute data, just their employment history, and just their, just the peer-to-peer events they've been donors to, that doesn't tell the whole story. That just tells part of the story. And we are really such, we are strong adherents of seeing the whole picture so that you can be as strategic as possible. Yep. So again, all in all, communication and data centralization, that is equal to how we are going to re-engage our lapsed donors. The most effective communication you can present has to be and is personalized, it's current, and it's complete. All communication strategies, overall and segment by segment, need to take all of this into account. So when we're saying personalization, currency, and completeness, is it accurate? Do we have the most up-to-date information? Do we have the the big picture of all these individuals? All communication strategies need to take this into consideration. Siloed data actually handicaps strategy. So it's so critical that at the end of the day, we have one system of records, such as Razor's Edge NXT. So again, that kind of goes back to that map of the world that Stu and I were talking to, where yes, that information is helpful on its own, but until you're putting it all together, you really can't see the big picture of the best way to get from point A to point B. So at the end of the day, it's really critical that with this information, you are reconciling it to one system of truth, one system of record that it will be their responsibility to view as a whole. So as we get ready to wrap up, um, we want to summarize what we've just been talking about and provide you with some important takeaways. First and foremost, it's reality. Lapse donors happen. And the longer they lapse, the tougher they are to re-engage. So analyze donor attrition and act quickly. Look at the trends. Look at where your attrition is. Uh, and act quickly. You may be surprised that maybe um, your attrition may not be as bad as those averages that we talked about early on, but there is donor attrition every year, and um, we've talked about some ways to counteract that. Know your lapsed donor populations. 
understand when and why they stopped giving and use their history as a guide to determine the best or most appropriate re-engagement tactics. Affinity scoring can help you identify those lapse donors that are most likely to renew uh, and provide criteria for strategic segmentation. It, those kind of, that kind of scoring is going to help understand where people are engaged, where they're not engaged, and what kind of uh, messaging can be used with groups of lapsed donors that have things in common. Focus on the relationship before making the next ask. Donors will really appreciate when key communications are not always about asking for money. And initially, uh, at least from my standpoint, the initial re-engagement communication should not be one about that's about asking for, for a, a gift when they've been lapsed for a while. And then lastly, to the point that Bailey just uh, spoke about, data centralization is imperative in order to effectively segment and deliver the right message to the right donor at the right time. Donor centralization allows you to see a complete picture because we know that in this day and age, so much of our fundraising data and donor engagement data is siloed in different systems. Centralizing them in a single system of record like Razor's Edge NXT um, will allow you to effectively segment and deliver the right message to the right donor at the right time as effectively as possible. 